Hey, everybody. We just want to say thank, thank you. Thank you for supporting us in this year's Max Fun Drive. We made our goal and almost made our stretch goal. Yeah, we'll soon be inviting supporting listeners to join us in our second ever listener tournament for the chance to be guests on the show. Plus, we'll be choosing two supporting listeners to join us as we record a show on Zoom. And we've chosen two supporting listeners to record a mini-episode, which we'll record and release soon. All that and more announced soon. And it wouldn't have happened without you, the listeners who supported us. So once again, thank thank you. Now, this episode you're about to hear was recorded with a live audience at the Crawford in Pasadena. And we'll be back there with another live audience recording on Saturday, May 6th at 7 p.m. with guests Reggie Watts and another guest, TBA Soon. Yeah, TBA, to be announced. You guys know. Tickets are available right now at LAS.com slash GoFactYourself. That's LAS.com slash GoFactYourself. And now, here's this week's episode. real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Crawford at LAist in Pasadena, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Nice to see you. Thank you so much, everybody. What a wonderful, wonderful crowd. Helen, how are you? I am very well, J. Keith. Now, some of our listeners, well, I I would hope all of them would know that this is the portion of the show where you and I have some uh, lighthearted chit-chat. A little bit of banter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after 100-plus shows, sometimes... We don't know what to talk about. We've run out of things to say, but frankly. But thankfully, artificial intelligence is once again here to save the day. Oh, groovy. I signed up for this chat GPT that everyone has been talking about. Okay, so this is the thing where you put in a topic and it'll just give you... Yeah, you can ask it questions. You can have it apparently write things for you. It will be making my employment obsolete very soon. Great. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to take advantage and use it for the show. So this is a real thing. I went and uh, signed up for chat GPT and I put in... Write some opening banter for hosts Helen and Jay Keith for Go Fact Yourself's episode at LAist's The Crawford. And this that is, is what very it, specific. Yeah, you well, put in all the specific things, yeah. and it went do 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 do, and this is what it's. I was out. gonna have it do it in the style of like an old timey western or something, oh. but I didn't want to confuse it too much. Okay. Yeah. So I put it. This is what that is what I put in, and this is the actual output that I believe you are now seeing for the first time. I am seeing this for the first so time. So this is our computer generated banter. Okay. Here we go. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the game where we put our guests to the test with trivia questions on topics of their own choosing. And I'm Jay Keith. <laughs> so, so far, so good. Very, and with me, as very always, natural. is the one and only Helen. That's right, Jay Keith. And we're thrilled to be here at LAist's The Crawford for this special episode of Go fact yourself. Yes, this is going to be a fun one. (laughs) Our guests tonight, unlike every other night, have picked some fascinating topics, and we can't wait to see how they perform. But before we bring out our guests, let's give a big round of applause to the fantastic audience here at the Crawford. 
You all make the show better, so thank you for joining us tonight. Indeed. <laughs> Literally says indeed. Yep. And let's get ready to play some trivia, shall we? Shall we? Chat GPT, everybody. <laughs> wow. You know I, what? That wasn't as bad as I thought. It wasn't it, so bad. You know what? You know what it has mastered is pandering to the audience. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's good to it's, see that the it's technology got is advanced. Down and it's got like repetitive. Yeah. Like just let's just repeat the facts, yeah. and they won't get that we're not human. Yes. Well, while I still can, I'm going to tell you that today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who was up first. He is a legendary comedy writer and game show icon whose many awards include two Emmys. It's Bruce. Bruce Valanche! Bruce Valanche! Bruce Valanche! Hello, Bruce, right here. Welcome. In all his glory. I was very pleased to learn that uh, during this pandemic time, you actually were still creating new things, and you've actually got a new project uh, that became... First of all, can I just say I'm thrilled to be at the Crawford. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Thank you. The last Crawford thing I went to was the Joan Crawford Daycare Center. <laughs> How did that turn out? Not, not well at all. Yeah, not no, well at no. All. What material did they make their hangers out of? <laughs> vodka, everything. <laughs> everything was just yeah. with vodka left, vodka right. Yeah. So, during COVID, I had an idea for a musical, and it's about a guy, a 40-year-old comic who's gay, who works at a club in New York, and the club closes, and his job disappears, and his relationship breaks up because they're just too close during quarantine. So he has to go quarantine at the, uh, in the attic of his parents' home in Longview, Texas, where he has an intimate relationship <gasps> with his imaginary friend, Dolly Parton. I love it. She comes off a poster, and because she senses he's in pain, mm-hmm. a- as Dolly does. Yes. <laughs> so we did it. We got a grant, a PPP grant from a theater in Florida, and we did it. I wrote it. We did a Zoom. They loved it, and so I had to go to Dolly for the rights. And I'd worked with her over the years, and I thought she'd shoot it down. Wait, you know Dolly? I've known Dolly through several bra sizes. <laughs> Who's? Who, hers and mine, exactly. <laughs> well, I've maintained... And uh, what did Dolly say? She said yes. What? I was stunned. What about that? She's not. She's now my my partner, and we've done four regional productions, and we're opening May seventeenth in Nashville at Studio Ten, and it's called "Here You Come Again," subtitled "How Dolly Saved My Life in Twelve Easy Songs," and it's a a small musical with a wonderful woman named Trisha Paoluccio who played the Dolly part in the Nine to Five musical oh, when it toured. Go. And we'll see where it goes from there. But you heard, you heard it here first. You officially wrote a musical with Dolly Parton. I know, it's staggering. That's it really crazy. Is. I'm uh, yeah, very, very impressed cool. with myself. Thank you. And because you got this grant, that means that is our tax dollars at work. Uh, yeah, putting exactly the show right. together. That's what the PPV yeah. was. Guys, we made a musical. It was amazing. <laughs> Unemployed writers everywhere made a musical. <laughs> Bruce, I have to ask you, uh, the two yeah. Emmys that you won were for writing on the Oscars. Yes, And obviously right. last year's Oscars, there was a big controversial moment, of course, with a, with a moment of violence there. Yes. And I was curious. Did you write it? Yes. <laughs> did you was write that, that Yes, I did. But they cut, in my version, it was Anita the Ball. <laughs> 
and they cut your joke, I guess, also. Uh, they it, did. And said it was just very uncomfortable. The they yeah. just said no. Yeah. But I'm curious, uh, had you been there? Uh, had this been a show that you were working on? No, uh, I, I, do, I, I've been think? unofficial at the Oscars for Unofficial, I did okay. 25 of them. But people call me the week before and they say, help. Yeah. Because a lot of time the show is written by people who are writers for a host of a talk show on television. Right. And they don't really know how these kinds of shows are written. Right. So they, get, they write stuff, and, and the people who I've written for and who know me call me and say, uh, would you please fluff this? Yeah. <laughs> that, that is the showbiz term? Uh, of course, it's only material they're asking yes, you to fluff. That's the problem. Yeah. Last thing I want to ask you about, you obviously have had a wonderful career writing on many different projects, but one of the ones that is still talked about to this day is a wonderful piece of pop culture called the Star Wars Holiday yes, Special. I know. I know. And, I know. And you've been happy to talk about it, even uh, though it's something well, that's I, been... Well, I started doing podcasts during COVID, yeah. and they were always asking me about that, that show and a mm -hmm. couple of other pieces of crap that I wrote in the <laughs> 70s. And these were all like uh, people in their 20s asking yeah. me about this. This was stuff they discovered on the internet. And so I thought, well, there is something in this. So I have sold a book about it. I'm oh, about, no kidding. It will be out almost a year from now. It's called It Seemed Like a Bad Idea at the Time. <laughs> <laughs> And it's about that and the Paul Lind Halloween special. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I have a whole a litany, <laughs> a litany of things that I wrote in the 70s when, of course, what I always say is the old maxim, if you remember the 70s, you weren't there. <laughs> I mean, it, I could, you could talk forever. And, you know, every time I do, I get like a, a horse's head from George Lucas. <laughs> you let it die, although he finally owns up to it now. He did a Lego version for Disney right. Plus. Yeah. I know. Hysterical. Yeah. Money talks like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he finally just got tired of running away from it. I mean, and when he discovered that two generations later, they're still talking about it, he said, I surrender. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad that you surrendered to joining us tonight. Bruce Valanche, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Helen, against whom will Bruce be competing? She is a producer, comedian, teacher, and Humanitas Prize-winning writer. Known for her play and screenplay, Real Women Have Curves, it's Josefina Lopez. Hello, Josefina. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Oh, we're um, so excited to have I you I love, here. you know, real men have boobs, right? Yeah. That's my sequel, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we got a sequel for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Josephine, I have to tell you, when I first found out that you were going to be on the show, I was actually on my way on a trip to uh, Tokyo, Japan, uh -huh. and uh, I was so excited to watch Real Women Have Curves again, and I go to the entertainment system on the airplane, and it is available on American Airlines yes, long-haul flights. I was going to ask, is that something that you knew about? Uh, no, but, I mean, I was there crying once. Watching it, going, oh my god, look, you know. But no, I, like I, I'm so touched. Money. It's like uh, the 20th anniversary, right? So I, I'm surprised that it's still around and that now it's become even more relevant. It really has. Yeah. yeah, I got to watch it on the plane. It was really cool. Tell us about the cameo that you have in the movie. Yeah, no, there's a hamburger uh, stand, mm -hmm. a restaurant, and I played the manager. And I told the casting people, "That's the role I'm playing <laughs> because I can play a chola really well. Nah. <laughs> I can tap into my inner chola and be like, what?" <laughs> anyway, I love that role. You mentioned that we recently had the 20th anniversary of the film. The play it was based on goes back, of course, uh, even further. Yeah, 33 um, years, something like that. Yeah. yeah. What a life that this movie has ended up having. In 2019, it was the first Latina-directed film to be included in the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress. That's right. That's right. I, I'm so amazed. Like... And uh, the 20th anniversary was recently celebrated both at Sundance and at the Academy Museum here in Los yes, Angeles. What did that mean year. to you to have that happen? Yeah. 
You know, it, it was incredible because it was right next to Citizen Kane. And I, and, and I have to be honest, at first it was like, okay, they're just trying to get Latino people into the museum, right? That's why I had to put my movie, right? You know? And then there's a part of me, the feminist, eco-feminist goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Citizen Kane. It's about a man who's on a power trip and how he thinks he has to do it alone and he ruins people's. And this is a story about women coming together. So maybe it is a change in storytelling. Mm. Maybe it is historical in that this is the way men tell stories mm. and this is the way women tell stories. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, that's why it deserves to be right there. We talked with Bruce about a musical that uh, he is working on. Mm. You also are working on a musical also in this same Well, vein. they're working on the musical uh, for Broadway. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in based progress. On, based on based the play on and real the movie. Women. Yeah, based on the play and the movie. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm hoping that it goes to Broadway, runs forever, and then there's a movie about the Broadway musical. Yes. yes. The residuals just gotta keep coming. More yeah. media, more, <laughs> more media. But I'm also working on the TV show. Trying oh, to very sell good. The, the TV show, yeah. Very wow. Cool. And the talk show. Mm -hmm. And then the workout. And then the, <laughs> and the book and the cookbook. No, I'm just glad that you're not seeking to the level of podcast. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no competition. <laughs> uh, we mentioned that it's based on a play, and I understand it's actually been performed at a lot of colleges, and that, that means a lot to you to have young people you be know, able to be in it. You know, it's the first play that some Latinos get to do. Wow. Because otherwise they play trees, you know? <laughs> or, you know, they're like, no, thank God for you that you wrote this play because I get to have a role and I get to really, people mm. get to see me and shine and show my humanity and there's been like over maybe 150 productions of it oh wow yeah the play has been done everywhere and and it's for so many women it's just it changed my life mm. i used to hate my body now i love myself and i love my mother so for me i feel like oh my god you know i thought this was my story of yeah. a girl who was undocumented who was from boyle heights who was poor and broke and had to work in a sewing factory and what you learn is when you really tell the truth and you share and you're vulnerable, then you realize it's so many women's stories. We're still battling the same, you know, issues 20 years later. Like, it's not like these issues have gone away. No, they haven't. Yeah. Because people say, oh, no, now it's body positivity and this and that. But then there's, it's contradictory because mm. the women we value or make mega millions, whatever, they're like, you know, it's like now it's about having a butt, you know, like how flat, like how many nickels can you throw that butt and can they bounce off, right? Yeah. And instead of like, how method. big is your heart? You know, how big is your compassion? Yeah. You know, things that they're really valuable. Well, I wanted things. to say, obviously, this, I hope I'm not shocking anyone. I am not a Latina woman. Uh, and yet watching it on <laughs> the brain, like, I, there was something obviously very universal about it. It's something that still resonates. And I think you, you nailed it. It's because you're telling the truth. You're Telling yeah. the truth of a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. So I congratulate yes, you on you. that uh, as well. Um, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, in addition to all of your uh, wonderful credits and accomplishments, I was delighted to read that you have a diplôme de cuisine from Le Cordon Bleu, Bleu in Paris. Passy. What? Yeah, yeah, yes. I do, I do, yeah. Uh, what, what is your specialty that you uh, got out of that experience? Oh, you know, I wanted to write a novel. Mm -hmm. I have a novel called Hungry Woman in Paris. It's an erotic novel that treats men like food. <gasps> and uh, I am in. <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah, no, I, I love sauces. My specialty sauces, is sauces. sauces are your Although I, people say, oh, well, are you going to cook for me? I'm like, no, I went to cooking school, so I didn't have to cook for anybody. <laughs> I could just criticize the chef, you know? Excellent. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're so happy to have you, the saucy, if I may, Josefina yes. Lopez. <laughs> All right, Bruce and Josefina, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Bruce, you said you know a lot about classic cartoon characters. Jewish food, and the Andrea Doria. <laughs> and if you can find the connection in those, please write us after the show. Whereas, Josefina, you said you know a lot about Mexican muralists, the history of Boyle Heights in Los Angeles, and the musical Miss Saigon. 
<laughs> so later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of oh. you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer or an incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, it's hip to be square. First up in hip to be square, Bruce with hip. Bruce, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have an in-person listener question. Oh. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Hey, listener. Hello, listener. Hello, everyone. I'm Clint Tauscher of Los Angeles, and my question for What's the Difference is, though neither one will make you seem square, what's the difference between rap and hip-hop? Clint Tauscher, everybody. Thank you so much. I do. Clint, by the way, is a familiar name to many of our longtime listeners. You uh, often help out in different ways on the show, and thank you for all of that and for submitting this question. It's my pleasure. I'm a fan of the show as well as uh, somebody who loves to be a part of it, so thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Clint. All right, Bruce, you heard Clint. What is the difference between rap and hip-hop? Search me. I'm Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, then rap and hip-hop. Well, (laughs) hip-hop. Right. That's the holiday hip hop. Yes, yes. Hip hop. <laughs> Rap is the actual poetry, the actual mm-hmm. lyric poetry. Hip hop is the music okay. uh, that frames all of that. And the whole experience is a hip hop experience, but rap is the actual wordage. All right, we've got Bruce's <laughs> answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Josefina, anything you'd like to add or change? I don't know. Maybe the opposite of what he said. Maybe the opposite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, like... Al- always a reliable strategy in this, in this portion <laughs> like... of the show. All right, well, this segment is getting a bad rap. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Rap is a type of music, rhythmic, often rhyming speech accompanied by a beat. Hip-hop is a culture, which includes rap. Most academic definitions of hip-hop break it down into four elements. Rap, breakdancing, DJing, and graffiti. But it can encompass even more. Uh, That's right. Now, although there are conflicting stories about where the term hip-hop came from, the consensus is that the art form was born at a party held in the Bronx on August 11th, 1973. That means hip-hop will be celebrating its 50th birthday this year and should probably talk to its doctor about getting a colonoscopy. (laughs) Helen, how did our guests do? Um, I don't think either one of you got that one right. Yeah, yeah. Not, no, no points there. I'm terribly sorry, but we still enjoyed hearing from both of you. All right, up next in Hip to Be Square is Josefina with Square. Josefina, while using both of them properly might make you look hip, what's the difference between a pocket square and a handkerchief? A pocket square and a handkerchief. A pocket square is um, sewn into the the man's uh, jacket pocket. Okay. Whereas a handkerchief is free and is usually to present to someone, a lady, for it's for other people. To th- okay. That's all, that's all I have for you. Okay. That, that, that's a lot. We don't know yet if Josefina is entirely correct. Bruce, if you don't think she's got it right, what do you uh, want to add or change? I just A pocket square is a very tiny man you pick up at a gay bar. <laughs> So also like a po- are you thinking of a pocket but bear? He's not terribly ad- <laughs> pocket no. bear. You'd have to go to a different bar. A different gray bar. Okay. <laughs> I agree with Josefina. I think that she's nailed it. She's nailed it. All right. Well, uh, this segment needs to be wiped away. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. 
pocket squares are meant to be decorative and are designed to be seen, sticking out of the breast pocket of a suit. They tend to be made of material thinner than that of a handkerchief, like silk, so as not to be bulky. Handkerchiefs are meant to be functional and not to be seen, since that function is to absorb various bodily excretions. <laughs> Gross. Just like the people from the gay bar. <laughs> You said it, Bruce. I I did not. I was just thinking it. (laughs) Taking it back, um, since that function is to absorb various bodily excretions, they are usually made from a thicker material like absorbent cotton and are typically larger than a pocket square. In other words, a pocket square is for showing and a handkerchief is for blowing. Yeah. (laughs) That seems like a very obvious thing. I won't go near it. Yes, yes. Well, that's right. Um, (laughs) Pocket squares have pretty much always been square, whereas handkerchiefs can actually be any shape but are usually square. King Louis XIV passed a law which said that they had to be the same length and width. Thankfully, since then, though, leaders have only passed important laws and never waste their time on anything so stupid. (laughs) Helen, how did our guest do? Josefina, I think you do get half a point. Thank you. Because you did say (laughs) a pocket square was sewn into the suit, which is not technically technically correct, correct. but it it, it does show and meant to be shown. Mm -hmm. I think you kind of got across that. So Mm -hmm. half a point for Josefina. Half a point for Josefina. Very good. (laughs) And Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Bruce Valanche has zero points and Josefina Lopez has half a point. But those scores are bound to change as they move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, I have a startling confession to make. (gasps) Ooh, sounds juicy. It is. Helen, I have to tell you, usually when I think high quality, I have to admit, I think high prices. But you know what? Premium meals don't have to come at a premium price. Oh. ButcherBox provides you with the best meat and seafood on the planet so you can whip up quality meals on your budget. Oh, yeah. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value, including 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. Enjoy exclusive member deals, recipe inspiration, and more. Now, Helen, one of the things I love about ButcherBox is the convenience. I got a big box of it a little while ago. I had some of it the very week that I received the box, and some of it is still in my freezer waiting for a dinner party to show up so I can make a roast. And what's great is also, of course, I like to have a roast beef. Helen, you have very specific meat needs. I do. I don't eat animals with four legs. And I don't eat anything that comes from the sea. Well, guess what? We can both get exactly what we want and none of what we don't want from ButcherBox. Helen, I understand there's an exciting new offer from ButcherBox. Get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free chicken nuggets and every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash gofact and use code gofact. How do they get that deal? Go to butcherbox.com slash gofact and use code gofact. And that's why we say thank you butcherbox. With Max Fun Drive in the books, we'd like to welcome our new members and say thanks to everyone who's supported us over the years. Welcome. Thanks. And now, on to the sticker sale. A lot of this year's drive gifts and live streams focused on food. We love how food can bring communities together, but not everyone has access to the food they need. So we'll split the proceeds from our sticker sale among five U.S. food banks in areas disproportionately affected by poverty. 
The sale ends Friday, April 14th. Members at the $10 monthly level and above can purchase any stickers they'd like. There's also a special Max Fun sticker featuring Nazi the Squirrel that all members can purchase. For more info, head to MaximumFun.org slash sticker sale. And thanks again for your support. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Bruce Valanche and Josefina Lopez. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen. All right, Bruce, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about classic cartoon characters, (laughs) Jewish food, and the Andrea Doria. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what classic cartoon characters means to you. I adored them when I was little, and I I liked them so much, I decided I'd spend my life looking like one. <laughs> but uh, I just always—they've uh, always appealed to me. I think. Like, like who? Like Mickey Mouse? The or? more extreme ones, you know. I mean, Foghorn Leghorn and those guys. I always kind of liked them. Yeah. All right. Very uh, good. You also said you know a lot about Jewish food. Well, you know, look at me. <laughs> How could I not? I, I mean, I you know I was raised in a, a heavy pots and pans house, the, you know, that, where everything was made. Mm-hmm. The history of uh, uh, the Jews can all can be summed up in. Every Jewish holiday is three sentences. Mm-hmm. They tried to kill us. They didn't. Let's eat. Right. <laughs> well, hi, um. Yeah. All right. And then finally, Bruce, you said you know a lot about the Andrea Doria. I do. I, don't, I was a Titanic nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, my father was teaching in Europe, and we went on ships a lot. And uh, there, it was the last of the great ocean liners. And I, I developed a fixation on ocean liners, shipwrecks, that, particularly mm-hmm. the Lusitania, Titanic, and Andrew York. I was fascinated by how these floating cities could go down, mm. could just, you know, end in such horror. And I don't know, it just kind of stuck with me. All right. Well, to summarize, Bruce, you said you know a lot about classic cartoon characters, yeah. Jewish food, and the Andrea Doria. Today, we're going to quiz you about the Andrea Doria. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. This could be sad. It could be sad, and yeah, we, we are. I want to say we are going to have some fun with this, but this of course is not it wasn't, Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, it, it was a tragedy. Lives were lost. It was a great rescue as well. Fifty-one lives were lost. Well, so there goes question, question number two. Ask. Yes, yes, there goes that. Well, uh, for those who don't know, uh, the Andrea sank after a ship called the Stockholm hit it. Yes. Do you have an opinion as to maybe who was more at fault, the crew of one uh, or the I'm other? I'm afraid the Swedes were at fault. The I Swedes mean, were at fault. there was no uh, n- no court case. They settled out of court. Right. The officer on deck at the time was his first voyage and his assistant, the second officer, was not good with radar. Right. This was 1956. Relatively oh. new technology. Relatively time, new yeah. I don't think they meant to slam into another ship, yeah. but I think that they just were a, a little incompetent. At, what, at what do you not, is it just hard to see another ship well, before you're just slamming that's into actually it? A good, uh, it's a good point about the whole wreck. Oh. The Gulf Stream meets the Labrador Current and there are fog and uh. it was July. So there was a summer fog. Foggy. The Doria was coming west, mm-hmm. and it was in a gigantic fog bank. Mm-hmm. The Stockholm had left New York and was going east and did not know there was a fog bank oh. right. and went into it. And moments after it got into it, it slammed into the Doria. Right. Oh, so, how do you say gosh darn it in Swedish? I do know a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say already. To everybody. <laughs> we haven't even gotten it, to the I've quiz I've killed part. more dinner parties, really. Don't even... <laughs> 
Uh, there are Italian restaurants I yeah. can't go into anymore. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with an <laughs> oh expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Bruce, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each oh. worth one point. Uh-oh. Now, if you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Josefina, do listen closely because if Bruce answers incorrectly, you can steal. Josefina, by the way, how much do you know about the Andrea Doria? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I just okay. learned from <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's see if uh, Bruce gives you an opportunity. Here is question number one. The Andrea Doria was built in Genoa, registered to a port in Genoa, made its final voyage from Genoa, and was named after an admiral from Genoa. The Genoa in what European country? Italy. Helen? That is correct. We're on our way. Oh, boy. Fun fact, the Andrea Doria was built so that each of the three classes of passengers were isolated, meaning the people in third class, which they called tourist class, had their own pool, dining room, lounge, and deck, and couldn't soil those in oh. second or first <laughs> class. Whoa. Yes, there's a little bit of an elitist ship. All right, Bruce, you got your point. Here's question number okay. two. The Andrea Doria was built and outfitted using lessons learned from a more famous maritime tragedy 44 years prior. And so, unlike the Titanic, the Andrea Doria did have enough lifeboats for every passenger. But why were half of those boats unusable to save people after the crash? Because the Stockholm slammed into the starboard side and water came in all along the, uh, the side of the ship, and the ship began to list to starboard. So the port lifeboats could not be used. They couldn't be lowered because the ship was on a very 28-degree str- list. Helen? And you can't oh, put- sorry, you're not done. That's why they didn't use it. <laughs> so they only could use half of them, and they had a hard time lowering them because the ship was partially in the water already. That was correct like three minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it was... It's yep. incorrect. Yeah, we would have just accepted listing, but uh, that's great. <laughs> Fun fact, the Andrea Doria was designed to withstand a listing of 15 degrees, yeah. but very soon after the crash, as you mentioned, it was listing more than that, and of course, eventually toppling over. Bruce, you're two for two. Here's question number three. The crash and sinking resulted in the loss of over 50 lives, but more than 1,600 people were saved, leading the effort to be called the greatest sea rescue in history. Now, several ships came to the aid of the Andrea Doria and the Stockholm, but but which of the following was not one of them? Was it the SS Ile-de-France, the SS Cape Anne, the USS Herbert C. Jones, the USS Edward H. Allen, or the USNS Private William H. Thomas? It was the Jones. It didn't come. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Very wow. nice, Bruce. Wow. Fun fact, the Ile-de-France was a French ocean liner. The Edward Allen was a U.S. Navy destroyer escort. The Private William H. Thomas was a military transport ship. And the Cape Ann was a United Fruit Company freighter or a fruiter. (laughs) Well, I liked it. All right, you're three for three. Here's question number four. You still have your hints available. (laughs) Okay. The wreckage of the Andrea Doria was filmed with underwater cameras just days after it sank and shown in newsreels all around the world. That footage was shot by what future Oscar-nominated director? Well, uh, could I have a hint, please? Sure. Helen, how about that first hint? He went on to direct such films as My Dinner with Andre, Atlantic City, and Au Revoir Les Enfants. Oh, my God. Louis Malle. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) Mon Dieu, Louis Malle. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, we got one. I did not know that. We stumped you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You happened to mention Gimbel. He was one of the first photographers, He was one of the first people to dive on. Yeah, yes. Fun fact, while the Andrea Doria remains at the bottom of 
above the sea. The Stockholm, the ship that collided with it, was repaired and is still afloat today. It is the oldest working cruise ship in the world and currently named the Astoria. It is also currently for sale if any of you have five to ten million dollars laying around. Whoa, so you could just, you could be a guest on the you ship could, that You could hit. do your own triangle of sadness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce, you have a chance to go five for five. You can get this question correct. When the Andrea Doria sank, it took with it a piece of automotive history, a one-of-a-kind prototype for a new car from Chrysler. What was the name of this never-to-be-seen car model? The Norseman. Helen? That is correct. Bruce Valance is five what? for five. Five for you five did not for even Bruce Valance. Did you just know that? Or you? I did, yeah, yeah. you know, I know, I, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm, I'm a shipwreck nerd. I love, I love <laughs> discovering this part of Bruce Valance, the shipwreck nerd. I know. Uh, fun fact, the Norseman was one of the first cars to have retractable seatbelts, a brand new invention at the time. The car took 50,000 hours of research and labor, two years in design, and another 15 months to build, and is still on the Andrea Doria today at the what? bottom of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Bruce, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time oh. for your cluster oh. fact. <laughs> Nice. I'm scared now. We'll be, we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Bruce, of the 1,600-plus survivors oh. of the Andrea Doria catastrophe, three were notable names from the world of show business. One was actress Betsy Drake, who was returning from visiting her then-husband, the famous star of The Philadelphia Story and His Girl Friday. Another was a Golden Globe-nominated actress who starred in movies directed by Alfred Hitchcock, Robert Wise, and King Vidor. And the third was on his way to becoming one of the most important songwriters in the history of rock and roll. For up to three points, what famous husband had survivor Betsy Drake just visited, and who were those two other famous survivors? Betsy Drake was visiting Cary Grant. All right. And she was on her way back uh, Mm -hmm. to break up the the marriage. Okay. The actress was Ruth Roman. Okay. She was with her son, and it was a great story because they were separated during the... the, Collision rescue, and uh, she was on one ship and he was on the other ship, which kind of mirrored the plot of a movie she had been in. Wow. And the other guy was Mike Stoller of Lieber and Stoller. And the story about Mike. Well, let's, that, uh, let's just stick with the answer for now. Oh, <laughs> there's more? Let's just stick with the answer okay. part for now. Mike Stoller. Okay. Mike Stoller. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a member of the Grammy Hall of Fame, the Record <laughs> Producers Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from Lieber and Stoller. It's Mike, Mike. Stoller! <laughs> Mike Stoller, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please have a seat. I know him. Just to think, Mike, you survived that shipwreck to years later beyond go fact yourself. (laughs) Just lucky, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, before we talk about that, uh, just a little bit of your bona fides. You have co-written over 70 chart hits, including Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock, Yakety Yak, Charlie Brown, Poison Ivy, Spanish Harlem, I Who Have Nothing, On Broadway, Dance With Me, Love Potion Number 9, There Goes My Baby, Is That All There Is, and a little song called Stand By Me. What? <laughs> I even know, like, 
like 10 of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone had to do it. <laughs> well, thank you for doing it. Your songs have been recorded by literally hundreds of artists, including the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, James Brown, Barbara Streisand, Aretha Franklin, Benny King, and of course, Elvis <laughs> Presley. It's, it's such an amazing career. And of course, you're here to talk about the Andrea Doria, which we, uh, <laughs> which we appreciate very much. Well, first of all, Bruce, you, yeah. man, you got them all right. Yeah, <laughs> everything. <laughs> In fact, you knew stuff that I didn't know. Wow. Uh, well, you know, we, we had dinner one night, and he told me, I didn't know he'd been on it. Mm-hmm. And he told me the whole story about it. And uh, because I'm friendly with his wife, Corky Hale, who was a brilliant musician. Oh, wow. A jazz musician, mm-hmm. and I'd worked with her before. She absolutely, and she's sitting in the back. Hello, there. Cork. Oh, there, you oh, there she is. How nice. She's fabulous. And we, we were having dinner, and I don't know how it came up, but you said, oh, I was on the end of your door. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what? it was my first time on a ship. How old were you? I was 23, mm. my first trip to Europe. Mm-hmm. And I understand you actually used a royalty check that you had gotten from a song to help pay for that trip. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is true. It, it was uh, a song called Black Denim Trousers and Motorcycle Boots. <laughs> and fortunately, when I got to Paris, there was a French translation of that song, mm. and it was being introduced... L'Olympia Music Hall mm-hmm. in Paris by Edith Piaf. Wow. It was one of her biggest single <gasps> record hits. Unbelievable. Not her most famous, yeah. but it's in a lot of albums. So uh, where did you board the ship? Because I understand it had a few stops before it went to New York. From Naples. From Naples, Napoli. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it stopped only once at uh, Algeciras mm-hmm. with Gibraltar. And uh, then it was supposed to come to New York and wow. almost made it. Yeah. <laughs> what Wait, t- so you're saying this is the first time you went on a cruise ship? Well, I didn't get back on a cruise ship for another 10 years. <laughs> Only 10? When my wife, Corky, and I got back. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, after, I guess after the first one you're on sinks in a famous yeah. sinking, you're like, you know, what are the chances? Yeah, it's going to happen you again. Know, I'm probably good what, for the rest of my life. What class uh, were you in, if you remember? Cabin. In cabin, okay. No windows. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about what happened that night, and when did you get a sense that maybe something was wrong? When the ship suddenly went like that. Yes, that would... <laughs> That would be a clue, yeah. Um, I had a glass of champagne. It was the last night. Right. I was, managed to keep my footing for a mm-hmm. while, and then there was a whole long period of time, hours, and with life preservers trying. Wow. So how did you get rescued? What was your story about how you were able to get off the ship safely? I was in a broken lifeboat that had fallen into the sea. Wow. Had... No rudder, and at that point, this is a few hours of holding up rail, I saw this ship all lit up, Ile de France, and I thought, well, so we wanted to go there, but we couldn't steer it because it was broken. And we finally went in a different direction and almost collided with the Cape Ann, which is the ship that did bring us into New York. I had sent a wire to Atlantic Records because 
I knew that Jerry was going to be in New York. This is your, your uh, songwriting partner, Jerry yeah, Lieber. Yeah, Jerry Lieber. And so when we got to New York, Jerry greeted me at the dock. Mm -hmm. He ran up to me, and the first thing he said was, Mike, we got a smash hit. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen him for three and a half months. You're like, yeah. I almost died. Bro, I almost died just yeah. now. I said, you're kidding. I mean, I, I was just re reacting. I sure. said, you're kidding. He said, no, Hound Dog. I said, Big Mama Thornton? He said, no, some white kid named Elvis Presley. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't know who that was. <laughs> well, you certainly found out. You ended up working with Elvis on more than 20 songs. His version of Hound Dog actually changed the lyrics from, from what you had. How did you feel about that? Not so good, but, yeah. you know, after it sold 7 million singles, <laughs> yeah. I began to see some merit in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This kid might be on to something. <laughs> when the piles of money started yeah. flowing in, you're like, all right, yeah. all right, I'll let it slide. I understand that you're about to celebrate a milestone birthday. Can you tell us about that? What's to talk about? I'm going to be 90. I think that's something to talk about. And you're still, you're still working. You're actually writing a show right now. I am indeed. I'm writing a musical. Everyone's writing a musical. Everybody, <laughs> everybody up here is writing a musical. Yeah. We need to get on I that. I think we're going to write a musical. We need to get but he had a huge hit, Smokey Joe's Cafe. Yes. It was his, the Absolutely. song that he the Book Show. Thank you. Thank you. This uh, is a book musical. A book musical. Okay. Yes. Is it, and it's with new songs. Smokey Joe was a review of, of your previous right. work. No, these are all new, written to a book. Yeah. Actually, the book is, was made into a movie called Beaches. <laughs> what? The I've Bette Midler movie? Yeah. And, Stop uh, it. I'm working with Iris Dart, who wrote oh, the novel okay. Beaches, and uh, was a, a very successful comedy writer. Yeah. Was there any point during the shipwreck that you thought you were going to die? Absolutely. Really? And yeah. And like, how did that? Like, how did how did you deal with that? Were you like making a list in your head, like, okay, if I get out of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and this and this. No, and I just stopped at a certain point and said, "This is it." Wow. The interesting thing, uh, actually, when you think about it, is I went from literally thinking I was going to die mm -hmm. to finding out I had a big smash hit record right. <laughs> within less than 24 hours. Wow. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Bruce. First, we wanted to know, of the notable showbiz people who had been on the Andrea Doria, what was the famous husband that survivor Betsy Drake had visited? Helen, what did Bruce say? Bruce said Cary Grant. And? Correct. Correct. There's a point for Bruce. Very good. Uh, all right, next we wanted to know who was that famous survivor who had been nominated for a Golden Globe. Helen, what did Bruce say? Bruce said Ruth Roman. Answer? Correct. Correct, Ruth Roman, very good. <laughs> but but they were first class, so I never met them. You never them. see them, you the were first, isolated. The first yeah. thing I asked him was, did you meet Ruth yeah. Roman? No. <laughs> and she was on the Ile de France and I was on a different show. Oh, all right. <laughs> Well, we finally wanted to know who was that legendary songwriter who was also on that ship. Helen, what did Bruce say? Bruce said Mike Stoller. And sir? Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. Very good. A perfect score in that quiz for Bruce, by the way. Very nice. All right. Bruce, while we have Mr. Stoller here, anything you'd like to ask or say to him? 
No, I love him. I'm glad to see him. Happy birthday. Ha- and <laughs> Thank you. And it's next month. What? Next month. Yeah. And go see Corky when she plays someplace. Very nice. Me too. <laughs> because she's great. You won't, be, you won't regret it. <laughs> Mike, it's been an absolute honor and joy to have you join us. If people want to find out more about what you're up to, uh, you have a website or a show that you want to promote? Well, I'm just working on a, on a show yeah. I, I mentioned before, and they take a long time. Why yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure it will be worth it. It's been an absolute joy to have you here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Stoller. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. Right. Wow, wow, wow. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that exciting round? Wow, at the end of that round, Bruce Valanche has eight points, and Josefina Lopez has half a point with a round of questions for Josefina coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Josefina about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Bruce and Josefina will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. A man goes to the doctor and says that he's depressed and that life seems cruel. The doctor says, ah, the treatment is simple. The great clown Pagliacci is in town tonight. Go and see him and you will surely feel better. The man bursts into tears and says, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. Ah, okay, says the doctor. In which case, try listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Bruce Valanche and Josefina Lopez. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. All right, Josefina, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Mexican muralists, the history of Boyle Heights in Los Angeles, and the musical Miss Saigon. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what Mexican muralists mean to you. I love street art. Mm -hmm. And so Mexican murals laid the seeds for street art now. Mm. You know, it was a way of incorporating indigenous people Mm. and Mexican pride. And really, art used to be about the rich people, the bourgeoisie, the spiritual figures, but Mexican muralism put uh, the people, the proletarian, at at the front, center. And Mm. then that inspired the Chicano movement, which inspired street art. Very good. All right, you also said you know a lot about the history of Boyle Heights in Los Angeles. That's right. I grew up in Boyle Heights, and, you know, a lot of people think they know Boyle Heights because the movies always represent all the gangs and the Mm drive-bys. So I set out to ask, you know, why is this Mexican-American community named after a white man, you know? Mm. So I started asking all kinds of questions, and I learned about the history. But I also learned that it was a Jewish community. And all these Jewish people love Boyle Heights. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's a Mexican neighborhood. What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> no, that, that was when it was spelled H-E-I-T-Z. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, oh, but it was also a Japanese community, a Japanese-American community, an Italian yeah. community, a Russian community, an Armenian, an African-American community. And I was like, wait, how could this be everybody's community? And I said, oh, my God, it's the Ellis Island of the West. Oh, wow. And that's when I went, oh, my God, we have to preserve the history. Well, tell us about this museum that you're involved in that. Well, I'm sort of the founder of the Boyle Heights Museum. I declared that we need to capture this history because gentrification is not just about, like, people turning the buildings into an Ikea-looking building. It's about, really, uh, the erasure of Mexican-American history, Chicano history, Jewish history, Italian history, Russian, all these amazing stories that cannot be forgotten or erased because it's American history. 
there. You know, I tell people like Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez met in that building over there. Wow. Like, si se puede, yes, we can, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't have existed unless these two people met. And so there's so many amazing, even like serial killers, I have to take credit. Okay, oh. they're, 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 we do have a serial killer, you know, that's like, a there's all kinds of uh, things, you know. But anyway, yeah. but, but a lot of amazing things happen. It's a in rich history. It's I think a rich history. It's complex. It's complex, okay? All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about the musical Miss Saigon. I always thought musicals were about white people singing about why they were happy and in love and then not in love. And I was like, oh, God, it's so pointless. <laughs> you know, and then when I saw Miss Saigon, it was like, oh, my God, you can sing about profound things like mm. oppression, mm. racism, sex. You know, you can take all of the isms and you can sing about it and you can make it universal by having people share their pain and be vulnerable. And it really made me see musicals in a different way oh, wow. and I think it was that moment when I saw these two people crying in each other's arms because they were acknowledging the fact that they were both human beings who felt so lost but mm. love was going to save them anyway I'm getting emotional here Aww. in that moment I said oh my god like I want to see my community on yeah. stage I want to see our stories and, uh, and I think that's what planted the seed for me to like have real women have careers be a musical. Yeah. Wow. So I think I can trace it to that moment. Well, that's very lovely. Wow. I, I think it's very important to acknowledge that what art inspires. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that uh, your work has done that for others as well who've seen you, themselves represented as well. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your allowing that emotion in. I think that's very important to acknowledge. All right. Well, to summarize, Josefina, you said you know a lot about Mexican muralists, the history of Boyle Heights in Los okay. Angeles, and the musical Miss Saigon. Today we're going to quiz you about the musical Miss Saigon. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh. and, and not because I want you to cry more, but it is. <laughs> Where's the tissue? Where's the tissue? No, we, we'll Thank get you to, for we'll sharing that, oh, that, yeah. that really um, how poignant it is and, and how, how much it means to you. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, earlier when you were talking about your own work, real women have curves and, and, and Latina women coming up to you being like, this is the first time I saw myself on stage mm-hmm. and these are the only roles I could get. That experience has been for a lot of Asian actors with Miss Saigon. Yes, uh-huh. For Asian actors on Broadway, this was the only way they could get on Broadway. Better to be represented than not to be represented yeah. because to be invisible matters, yeah. is even more painful. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions okay. about your topic, <laughs> each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Okay. Now, Bruce, do listen closely because if Josefina oh. answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Bruce, how much do you know about the musical Miss Saigon. I played Miss Saigon. Really? <laughs> wow. Re- representation does matter, it. it turns out, Ellen. <laughs> but I'm, I'm ashamed, you know. <laughs> I, I haven't been able to speak to any of my Asian friends since. <laughs> yeah. so. Now, are, are you familiar with the, with I the show? I am familiar with it. Yes. Okay, well, we'll I see if uh, Josefina gives and you an And with the controversy, which is even better than the show. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, well, here's well. question number one for Josefina Lopez. Though Miss Saigon is a musical, the first sound most audiences hear isn't from a musical instrument, but from a flying machine, one that dramatically appears later in the show. What type of flying machine is it? A helicopter. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. You did not need the hint, but I know, Helen, you were eager to give that hint. Helen, what would that hint have been? Thank you. Thank you so much. It's the best I could do. The helicopter herself, Helen Helen Hong. (laughs) Question number two. The original production of Miss Saigon was nominated for 11 Tony Awards and won three, all for actors. Who are two of the three actors who won those Tony Awards? Jonathan Price and Leah Salonga. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) On our way. (laughs) 
The other, of course, was Hinton Battle. Uh, fun fact, Leah Salonga from the Philippines was the first Asian performer to win a Tony for Best Actress right. in a Musical. It was Jonathan Price's second Tony and Hinton Battle's third. The Revival was nominated for two Tonys but did not win. All right, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Okay. Like all great Broadway shows, Miss Saigon has an 11 o'clock number, a big show-stopping song that occurs late in the second act. That song, The American Dream, has the character of the engineer imagine how he could get rich by plying his trade in the U.S. with the lyrics reflecting the good life he envisions. But which of the following luxuries is not mentioned? Oh, okay. Is it a suite in Bel Air, a chocolate eclair, the finest cocaine, Schlitz down the drain, oh. or a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> and Helen, can you please give me the hint? Helen, how about that first hint? A chocolate eclair is mentioned in the song. Ah! <laughs> a lawyer? Helen, is it a lawyer? It is not a lawyer. No, I'm terribly sorry. Bruce with a chance to steal. Uh, um, the Sweet in Bel Air. Was it the Sweet in Bel Air? It is not a Sweet no, in Bel Air. No, I'm terribly oh. sorry. None of you got it. It actually was the finest cocaine. The finest, oh, the but finest cocaine was not mentioned in the lyrics. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Think, right? Okay. Apparently, you can get that. I get in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Get in Vietnam. Like, that was that was not one of cocaine. that was not one of the dreams of America. <laughs> um, well written in French anyway. Uh, yes. No, no points for either of you. Uh, fun fact: the role of the engineer was originally played by the Tony-winning Jonathan Price, as we mentioned before. Following protests, producer Cameron McIntosh vowed that subsequent to Price, only actors of Asian descent would play the French-Vietnamese role going forward. I just saw Miss Saigon for the very first time, the L.A. production. Oh. Like, it was the f one of the first things that I saw after the pandemic. I went to go see it with an Asian friend, and we were just like, we just kind of went to hate watch it a little bit. <laughs> but then the guy playing the engineer was this Filipino actor, and he smashed... We were, like, blown away by the sky. So this is, like... Truly, representation matters, you know? Yeah. Like, this guy was an amazing actor, and all the Asian cast were incredible, and they wouldn't have gotten jobs like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, here's question number four. The engineer spends much of the show at a club called Dreamland in Saigon, but he sings The American Dream at a different nightclub in Bangkok, one that has a very similar name to a real naughty nightclub located about 5,800 miles away. What is the name of this oh. club? Can I have a hint? <laughs> Helen, how about that second hint? That real famous nightclub is in Paris, and it shares a name with a movie musical, which became a Tony-winning stage musical that is currently running on Broadway. The Moulin Rouge? Helen? That is correct. That is okay. correct, the uh, Moulin Rouge. We're back into it. Fun fact, I met my fiancé at a screening of the movie Moulin Rouge, oh. which I mentioned because she's in the audience tonight. Hi, honey. <laughs> All right, here's question number five. You have no hints available, so let's see how you do. Miss Saigon's tragic tale of a doomed romance involving an Asian woman abandoned by her American lover may sound familiar, and that's because it's inspired by the Puccini opera Madame Butterfly. Okay. But Puccini took his inspiration from a one-act play by David Belasco that was titled Madame Butterfly, A Tragedy of What? Of Spain? I don't know. Uh, huh. Hmm. No, I don't know. Tragedy. I don't know. What, 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 would you would you like to guess? Uh, yeah, uh, well, of Granada, a tragedy of Granada. I don't know. <laughs> Granada, Velasco, I Granada, you. Spain. Helen, is it a tragedy of Granada, Spain? It is not. No, I'm terribly sorry, Bruce, mm -hmm. with the chance to steal. Repeat that again. They, 
source again? It was based on a one-act play called Madame Butterfly, a tragedy of blank. <laughs> epic proportion. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, was um, it a tragedy of epic proportions? It was not. No, I'm terribly sorry. You actually were on the right track, Josefina. It was a tragedy of Japan. A tragedy oh, of Japan. Japan. Yes, that Japan is where, like of course, Madame Butterfly took place. Fun fact, that one-act play was itself based on an 1898 novelette. In uh-huh. addition to Miss Saigon, Madame Butterfly also inspired the play M. Butterfly by David Henry Huang and the album Pinkerton by Weezer. Oh, All right. Wow. Art, who, you never know what it's going to inspire next. All right, Josefini did pretty well in that, but now here's your <laughs> expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster facts. <laughs> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. All right, Josefina, though the main love story in Miss Saigon focuses on Kim and Chris, there's another woman involved, Chris's wife, Ellen. She gets to sing a big number in the second act now that she's seen Kim, the woman her husband has a child with. But which song Ellen sings depend on which production of the show you saw. There was the original version of the song in the original London production, and there was a somewhat different one for Broadway and most subsequent productions. And incidentally, there was an entirely different song for the 2014 London revival, which later went to Broadway. (laughs) But for up to three points, what was the title of the song in the original London production? What was the title of the song as it first played on Broadway and in most other productions? (laughs) And... Who was the American lyricist who received a Tony nomination for writing those words? Oh, oh my God. I don't know this musical that well. I was going to say, give me my man back. I don't know. <laughs> give your man back. Okay. And then what was the original title? The original version of the song? Take him. I don't know. Take him. Okay. And then who was the American lyricist who received a Tony nomination for writing these words? American lyricist. Oh, my. don't know. Don't know. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, we'll take what we have uh, with okay. that. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight via Zoom is a Tony Award-winning director, composer, and lyricist whose work includes the Tony-nominated lyrics for Ms. Saigon. <laughs> it's Richard Maltby Jr. <laughs> oh! Hello, Mr. Maltby. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Oh, my goodness. I'm, uh, I'm loving this conversation. Excellent. So nice of you to join us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you Hi. for asking me. That's cool. In addition to uh, Miss Saigon, uh, you have been responsible for beloved off-Broadway shows like Starting Here, Starting Now, and My Favorite, Closer Than Ever. You've had over 10 shows on Broadway, including Baby, Big, Ring of Fire, The Pirate Queen, and you've received more than 10 Tony nominations, including for Fosse, Nick and Nora, Miss Saigon, and a win for a show, Ain't Misbehaving. Not bad at all, <laughs> Mr. Mumby. Thank you very much. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I understand that uh, your ambitions for the theater started in a different field. You actually wanted to be a set designer, was that right? Oh, yeah. I wanted to re- design scenery for the Radio City Music Hall. Uh, uh-huh. That was my... I used, to, I used to take... In those days when you had four stage shows a day, you, you, there would be a, a movie and then a stage show and a movie and a stage show all in one day. Yeah. Um, and I just thought the scenery was just beyond belief. That was what I wanted more than anything. My ambition died when I got to college and discovered I couldn't draw. (laughs) (laughs) It it took until college to realize that. I I actually had designed some scenery before then, but I didn't seem to have to draw to do that. (laughs) Now, one of those Broadway shows called Baby has a new cast album uh, that's going to be coming out, but the the cast album is not from Broadway. No, it's... Listen, the thing about Baby, it was written in 1983, and... It's about all sorts of issues about having a child and and how the baby transforms relationships and and changes it. In the intervening, it was 
time between 1983 and now, the entire universe has changed on that subject. Mm -hmm. Sexuality, gender, and we just had to, you know, look at everything again. And a tiny off-Broadway theater was going to do a production of it. It's called Out of the Box mm -hmm. Theatrics. They specialize in doing shows in site-specific locations. So they would do baby in a living room, in a house, you know, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. It was wonderful. I had to rewrite the show in about three weeks. <laughs> Sybil Pearson was not available. I had to do the whole thing. And I've never had so much fun in my life. Br <laughs> Bruce will know this. These days, by the time you go through the readings and the readings and the readings <laughs> and the workshops and everything, you can't remember why you liked the show in the first place. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to hearing that album. I'm a big fan of some of those songs. Let's talk about Miss Saigon. It was interesting to me that, uh, how you got involved with this, because you actually f turned down in the opportunity at first. Is that right? Oh, God, yes. Listen, it was the middle of the, the 80s. I'd never seen Les Mis. In the 10 years since the Vietnam War ended, every show, every story, every movie, every novel about the Vietnam War tanked. Nobody in America wanted to hear about our disaster. And I, what, I, what was I given? I was given a, a, a tape recording of Claude Michel playing the entire first act, piano, and him singing the score in French. But about a year later, Les Mis opened in Washington, and I saw it, and I understood what they were doing with the recitative and, the, and what that was all about. And also Platoon had opened. Mm. And suddenly we seemed to be able to look at that part of our history again. So I called, I called up Cameron and said, have you maybe, you know, have you picked <laughs> anybody else? And he said, no, Richard, we were waiting for you. Oh, that's great. Thought, and they did. It was a lie, but you know. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Saigon famously went through a worldwide talent search to find a lot of the performers in it, especially Leia Salonga. And I understand you actually were there when she was there for her callback in London. What was it like oh, experiencing Leia Salonga singing for the first time? It was breathtaking. She's, I mean, she was 17. Mm. She had this raw, natural gift, and it was we sat in the theater at the Drury Lane, she, and she sang it, and it was pure. It was glorious. We thought we would never be able to cast this part, this, you know, a young girl. She's got to be pretty. She's got to sing like an angel and be a really good actress to carry this incredible drama. And what has happened is that after she did the part, we have endless numbers of Philippine young girls who can play this part. What we can't cast is Chris. <laughs> the, American. the American GI. The American yeah. GI. Interesting. Last thing I want to ask you about, of course, we mentioned that famous uh, helicopter, a big uh, piece of stagecraft. How did you feel and what was your experience about having this large helicopter appear on stage? The show is about the last helicopter to go out, <laughs> to fly out. And there was a possibility of actually putting it on, on the stage. I thought it was a thrilling idea. The tragedy of that last helicopter it's way worse than we could ever uh, put on the stage. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, um, the Marines in the last helicopter, in order to control the crowd that had broken into the embassy yard, threw tear gas mm -hmm. down there. As the helicopter took off, the rotors sucked the, the tear gas up into the helicopter, and the last helicopter out of Sa Saigon flew out blind. I just thought that's just such an amazing metaphor. 
it was just there was some a certain kind of poetry that was that was you know sometimes reality produces things that are so gorgeous. Yes, I'm, and I think it was a wise choice not to do the tear gas uh, on stage for that. By the way, I know that was I know that was discussed. All right, let's yes. get to the reason we brought you here. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the question that we asked of Josefina. Uh, we wanted to know what was the original title of that song, Helen. What did Josefina say? <laughs> Give me my man back. <laughs> and Mr. Maltby? It was called. It's her or me. It's her or me, yes. All right, I'm sorry, no point there for Josefina. Next, we wanted to know what was the song called in the actual Broadway production. Helen, what did Josefina say? Take him. <laughs> and Mr. Maltby? Now that I've seen her. Now that I've seen her, yes. I'm sorry, not, not quite take him. Uh, and then next, we wanted to know who was that American lyricist who received a Tony nomination for writing those words. Helen, what did Josefina say? At first, she said Schoenberg, but then things got a little muddy. Yes, but we know now who was that, Mr. Maltby? <laughs> Hello, it was me. It was him, Richard Maltby Jr. <laughs> we thank you for being a good sport about that. Uh, Josefina, now that we have Mr. Maltby, here's anything you'd like to ask or say to him. Wait, did you write poetry when you were a child? Oh, what a great question. I, I, it's, I didn't. Actually, I don't even want to be a lyricist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got stuck with it because nobody else wanted to write lyrics uh, for shows. But I want, listen, I want to say something to you. Mm. I want to thank you so much. Your comment about this show was so meaningful to me. Mm. You don't very often get to understand what it is like to actually perceive the show. And what you said was why we write things. We write things so that you can have that kind of reaction. And of course, when you have that reaction, we're never there. Mm. So, <laughs> but I, uh, it was really, really deeply moving to me. And I would say the same to Helen too. Oh. I thank you both. I really thank you both for those comments. Well, thank you yeah. so much for saying that. That's lovely. Yeah. Uh, Richard, if people want to find out more about you or your work, tell us about the uh, album again coming up. It's called, well, it's Baby. It's, yeah. it's Baby. on... Um, I want it all. I, yeah, that's yeah. a great one. Thank you so much. I, I, I actually don't Simple. even know the name of the label. But, it is, <laughs> uh, but the album is, uh, is going to come out on uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Excellent. So it'll be out by the time people listen to this. It was so oh, wonderful. and by the way, yes. it's wonderful. And it's wonderful. The, <laughs> the album is absolutely thrilling. I'm abs I can say that because I had no expectations. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been absolutely thrilling for us to have you here. Richard Maltby Jr., everybody. Thank you so much, sir. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? At the end of that round, Bruce Valanche has eight points and Josefina Lopez has three and a half points. All right, it is now time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Bruce and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Bruce, the Burger King is a character used to advertise Burger King. True. Correct. Josefina, there have been other characters used to advertise Burger King. False. Incorrect. No, I'm sorry, there have been. Bruce, one of those characters was called the Burger Thing. Oh. False. Incorrect. It really was. <laughs> Josefina, one of them was called Sir Whopper. Yes, true. Incorrect. Bruce, one of them was called Sir Onion Ring. <laughs> true. Incorrect. Josefina, one of them was called Sir Fries a Lot. True. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Bruce, one of them was called Sir Shake-A-Lot. <laughs> False. Incorrect. Nope, that was the real one. Josefina, the Burger King had a character who was his nemesis. True. Correct. Bruce, Burger King's nemesis was the Fry King. Uh, False. Correct. Josefina, Burger King's nemesis was the Burger Dragon. 
False. Correct. Bruce, Burger King's nemesis was a salad. <laughs> True. Correct. Josefina, Burger King's nemesis was nutritional labels. Uh, true. Sure. Correct. Okay. Bruce, Burger King's nemesis was early onset childhood obesity. <laughs> true and false. Correct. All right. Let's give Josefina Lopez and Bruce Rolant a nice hand as Helen tabulates the final score. By the way, Burger King's actual nemesis was called the Duke of Doubt. Wow. The Duke of of doubt. Hello, doubt. random. Yeah, my, mine is the Duke of Self-Doubt, but uh, that's a whole other uh, show. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner on tonight's episode? I am at the end of the game. Bruce Valanche has 10 points, and Josefina Lopez has five and a half points. Congratulations, Bruce Valanche. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Bruce, what will you do with your championship? What, with my championship? Yes. I, I hope it'll get me gas at the Pasadena <laughs> 76. Good luck with that. Yes, yes. You might want to start driving an electric car. Yeah. Uh, All right, we want to give everyone here on the panel a chance to mention or promote anything they might like. Bruce Valanche, where can people see you and what you're up to? Uh, uh, Here you come again, Nashville, May 17th. It's a a musical. It's a musical, like everything tonight. It's a musical. (laughs) Bruce Valanche, what a pleasure. Thank you so much, Bruce. Josefina Lopez. Support my theater, casa0101.org. We have a lot of wonderful plays. And if you want to learn screenwriting from me, Josefina Lopez. Dot biz Josefina with an F. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Josefina Lopez, so nice to meet you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. What do you got? My musical is streaming now. It's called Well Hong, and there's no music in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's funny. I, I've seen it. I believe it seems more like a stand-up special yeah, than a musical. A, it's a stand-up special yeah. with no music. Um, Not yet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I mean, I can't sing, but you know what? I can put these jokes to music. Let's sure. put those jokes to music. It's called Well Hong. It's streaming now. Check it out. Check it out, Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Bruce Valanche, Josefina Lopez, Mike Stoller, Richard Maltby Jr., and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like McCat did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, this show is wonderful. It's so fun to hear celebrities geek out about their favorite subjects. Stop reading these reviews and just listen. Thanks, McCat. I'll stop reading right now. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from The Crawford at LAist in Pasadena. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Bart Gold and Brian Phillips. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Live show photography by Christine Vallada. Live show support by Dave Bianchi. Special thanks to Steve Moyer 
at Steve Moyer Public Relations, Bobby Marcus at Bobby Marcus Public Relations, Harlan Bull at B. Harlan Bull Public Relations, Peter Stoller and Jordan Maltby. For Elias, John Cohn, Executive Director, Rebecca Stummy, Events Producer, Tony Federico, Technical Director, Kristen Payne, Audience Services and Events Manager, Kristen Ranger, Events Coordinator, Clark Crane, Events Intern, and Caitlin Biljohn, Assistant Producer Engagement. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go write a musical! Yes! About jokes! Sure, everyone's doing it. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.